Hello and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, spirit-filled, non-denominational church meeting in the Los Feliz area of Los Angeles, or we hope to be again sometime soon. Everything we do as a church is, as with most of the rest of life, currently happening online. Our current teaching series is on Philippians, a letter written to a church for whom Paul had a clear affection about how to find the joy of the Lord amidst whatever comes our way. It felt like a poignant moment to stop and see this stuff, and we hope it helps. Hello, my name's Ben. Welcome to my house. Uh, normally I'm singing, but today I am not. Um, so, yeah, this might be the first time some of you have just found out that I speak with an Australian accent. So, thanks. Uh, I'm very excited to share today. I will say it's been a long, long, long time since I've spoken um, in church, and I've never had to do it with technology. So I'm a little nervous, uh, but also um, when Ed asked if I would share, uh, I was happy to take up my cross and follow. Um, so anyway... It's just going to be what it's going to be, and we're all family, and it's going to be okay. I am reading from, like, a laptop that's just, like, really precariously placed, so just whatever. Thanks. Um, we're doing a series on the book of Philippians, and it's one of the shorter books of the New Testament, but I feel like it's got some of the most memorable scriptures that surely a lot of us learned in uh, Sunday school. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, there's also rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Uh, one of my favorites, be anxious for nothing, but in all things with prayer and supplication, and thanksgiving in your heart, make your requests known to God. Um, or one of my mother's favorites, whenever we had to clean the house as children, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Um, but yeah, small book, lots of iconic uh, moments. Uh, and then sometimes I find, you know, when you've grown up with those sorts of scriptures, certainly for me, when there's such a familiarity with the language of these books, visiting them, you can kind of get a bit glassy-eyed and just sort of disconnect. Um, so what I am going to do as we set up this series is give, um, take us back through some of the context of who wrote this letter, who it was written for, how it might have been received, the kind of culture that it was being written into, um, and I mean, I know we try and do this for every every passage we look at in the Bible, but it's my prayer that as we do kind of get into some of those details, um, that we would find ways that it's relevant and fresh to us. Um, so I'm going to do that. And then I am going to finish by just focusing in on one part of um, chapter one. So yeah, I'm just going to pray very quickly. God, I just pray that you would use these next few minutes to speak through me um, as we read this book and about these people that you were speaking to then. Um, just let it be your wisdom and not my wisdom, God, that is imparted. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the biggest things that stood out to me as I was studying this is how relevant so much of this book is. And I mean, obviously... The whole Bible is relevant all the time, but uh, it just there were a couple of details that just felt very specific to this moment for us in this time, um, and hopefully 
those things will kind of be apparent to you as well. Uh, so the first question, of course, is who wrote the book? Who is um, the author? And we know it's Paul. Um, and Paul's story by this point in the New Testament is so well established. We know pretty much everything we can about this guy. Um, the recap is he was this radical, pharisaical teacher, um, militant in his faith to the point where he persecuted and killed Christians uh, because they were heretics. Then Jesus appears to him and he has this radical salvation, um, Has uh, literally sees God himself um, in Jesus and then devotes his whole life. It completely changes him. He devotes the rest of his life to traveling the world as a missionary and fighting against anyone who has anything to say against Jesus. Um, but he had this crazy revelation. So that was the guy. By the time he was writing the Philippian church, um, he would have been, I'd sort of looked up the dates of things and did some math on everyone's behalf. You're welcome. Uh, probably around his late 50s, so maybe like 57. I feel like he's a safe place to place his age. Um, which I always think is interesting. Sometimes when I read the Bible, I, especially the early church, I think of them all as these young, spry, fiery speakers the whole time. And you forget that like people age. Um, and then the other detail that is sort of important is that Paul, at the time he was writing this letter, was in house arrest, probably in Rome. Um, so in, in a way, he was writing from a lockdown. Uh, who are the people that Paul is writing to? Well, this is another thing that I love doing when I read um, the epistles, especially, but just any sort of any moment of the New Testament is, sorry, I'm just really aware that I just did, <laughs> did that. Um, what I love reading in the New Testament is placing all of these moments in the like timeline, because sometimes we forget how bonkers it must have been in the early church. Uh, so, for example, <clears throat> the Philippian church, at the time this letter was written, Jesus had only been dead for about 30 years. Well, obviously he's not still dead. Jesus had died about 30 years ago and then he had been resurrected. Uh, but that whole story had happened only a couple of decades or three decades earlier. Um, and so, you know, you know what it's like in social movements. It, Christianity wasn't that old. It was still in many ways in its infancy. Um, and it's kind of interesting to think in the whole book of Acts, the way that the church grew was such a grow first, ask questions later kind of experience. From the moment that the Holy Spirit fell on the upper room and then Peter gets up and speaks and then you find out that 3,000 got added to their number that day and just... That sort of story was so common that what would happen is the Holy Spirit would have these revivals. All these people would be completely transformed and then be like, what now? And so the apostles would travel around and try and come up with ways to create sustainable communities out of all of these revivals. I mean, that is the story of the early church. And sometimes we can forget that they were chaotic. They were baby Christians. They were communities being formed in a hurry. Um, and the church at Philippi was exactly one of these churches. Um, so we're actually told the story of the Philippian church and how it was started in Acts chapter 16. And Ed did a sermon on this in July. Um, but we're told that Paul and Silas travel through Macedonia, get to the city of Philippi. 
and three people get saved and we're told their stories and you can read it all. Lydia, who's a somewhat wealthy woman, a slave girl in the marketplace, and then that conversion gets Paul and Silas in trouble, so they go to prison, and then in prison they have that miraculous experience where they're singing worship to God, and the Spirit of God comes and there's an earthquake, and then the Roman centurion, he gets saved through them, he's so excited, he takes them back to his family, they all get saved, and this all kind of happens over the course of like a week. Um, so the church at Philippi was one of those communities that just not that long after Jesus has gone back to heaven and this this new religion of Christianity that we kind of vaguely know bits and pieces about is just like spreading through the rest of the world. Um, these guys were one of those communities formed in like a time of revival, a time where it would have been so exciting. I and mean, you can imagine a wealthy woman a slave girl and a Roman centurion who otherwise have nothing in common with each other coming together on a Sunday and being like, I had this experience and I had this experience and this miracle happened for me. I mean, that's what those early church communities would have been like. By the time Paul is writing to these guys in this particular letter, it's about 15 years later. So as with anything, all of that excitement would have turned into day-to-day -day life those guys are probably still part of the church. Uh, and then leaders would have been put into place to kind of keep the, keep the church growing and keep things sustainable. But by this point, the image we're given of the church is that they're a little bit weary. And we hear that they're going through some challenges both outside and inside the church. One of the challenges we know about is that they were being persecuted. Um, and most probably, based on the nature of how Paul, Paul tells them, um, to deal with that persecution, they're probably being persecuted by some of their neighbours in the city. And this, uh, when we learn about the city of Philippi, that can kind of give us a clue as to this. Um, so the city itself was an army colony filled with retired soldiers who had been given land by the Roman emperor as a thank you for their service. So this means that the city is filled with all these guys that had fought in the, in the army. And then as thanks, they get given all this land. So of course... They're deeply patriotic, deeply. Uh, one of the books I read said that they were, they were strong loyalists to the cult of Rome. Um, I mean, we're talking about super patriots, uh, you know, fly flags out. And I mean, even I was reading that the terminology of things like Lord and Savior for these guys and for the people that lived, the citizens of Rome that lived in the city of Philippi, as a military town, things like Lord and Saviour were applied to the Emperor and they were relevant to the Empire of Rome. And so, you know, these new Christians, these new baby Christians telling the story of this servant King, this Lord and Saviour Jesus who came to earth, lessened himself to die a prisoner's death, would have been so offensive to these guys for whom Lord and Saviour meant might and power and violence. Um, you know, Jesus, to use a modern vernacular, epitomized in some ways that beta, you know, um, physical posturing. And they were a group of alphas looking for this kind of strong might. Um, I mean, I don't know if this is helpful to anyone, but sometimes I like to try and imagine these things in a contemporary context. And you can almost see some of these patriotic army dudes getting on uh, their social media and just being like, uh, who, what, why are you guys following this 
Sorry boy, beta cuck. Jesus, he's such a weakling. You get the idea. I don't know if that's helpful. But the point is that the church in Philippi were feeling oppressed by their neighbors. Um, and then we also learn that some of their struggles were coming from within the church. Uh, and Paul mentions these things. He says um, there's a couple of people that have been going around preaching the gospel with selfish motives. Uh, he calls out there's a couple of disputes within even some of the leaders in the church. And then he references some heretical teachings that are pervading the community. And again, when you think about how young the church is, a 15-year-old church that's been around for half as long as the whole movement has been around, um, it makes sense that these things would have been ongoing issues. And in all, all of Paul's letters to different churches, they're all very regionally dealing with similar versions of these things. Um, and I mean, it makes total sense. You think about how a social movement works. I was, as I was reading this, reminded me of the story um, I'd heard recently in the New York Times did a piece about the collapse of the Women's March as an organization and how when it first started, I think it was just like an online message board that sort of exploded out and suddenly a group of women saying we want to go and march turned into millions of people all around the world taking part in these marches. And it was this powerful social movement where I think everybody felt this desire to like be part of and say yes i am one of those but then the question of like well what are they became very relevant when the leaders of the women's march started fighting amongst themselves saying well hang on i thought we were doing this thing and i thought we were doing this thing and then some of the newer people who weren't there at the start were saying oh actually we've always thought that it would be more about this and so you watch the collapse of this social movement because of all these different voices and chaotic things coming in and, and making it all kind of murky. The early church was fraught with that sort of stuff, an early social movement. And of course, the difference is that the Spirit of God was there, but using people like Paul to speak into these things. And so we learn that not only were the, was the church at Philippi being oppressed by their patriotic, Rome-obsessed neighbors, but they were also dealing with heresies and division and strife within their own community. So, a church that had been founded on radical testimonies about the power of God, that was a total cross-section of the community, now find themselves discouraged and weary, beaten down by their neighbours, rejected, facing persecution, facing disunity, feeling oppressed by a city whose citizens deride them, feeling confused by false teachers who are trying to spread fake news, and then starting to bicker amongst themselves. And it's in this moment that our nearly 60-year-old Apostle Paul writes a letter of encouragement to his friends from lockdown. As they are all in their home communities feeling the weight and the weariness of living life as Christians, Paul writes to them from his lockdown. It's my prayer as we hear the different words that people are bringing over the next couple of weeks, um, that some of this context would show us how it's so relevant even into our own lives in this moment. I know, you know, my prayer is that it would feel like Paul is reaching through time and talking directly to us and to the discouragement and the hardships that I know so many of us are feeling in our own lives right now. Uh, as I finish off my part of talking about this, I wanted to look at one particular verse in the end of chapter one that, um, that I think 
I think is hopefully going to be encouraging for you. Um, the first part of Paul's letter, as, as all of those kind of letters to churches, begins much as you would expect with greetings and thank yous. Um, he gives them an update about how he's doing. That's in that passage that he talks about his trial that he's going through. And he says those beautiful words, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And of course, you should read, you should read all of it. But he finishes by going into this little chat about how we all need to strive to live a life that's worthy of the gospel, even in the face of opposition. And he ends with this interesting statement. In verse 29 of chapter 1, Paul writes, It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And it's kind of a remarkable thing to say as an encouragement to people, you know, uh, God's not only blessing you with the ability to believe in him, but he's also giving you the gift of suffering for him. I mean, it feels like every now and then as a Christian, you come across these things where you're like, mm, no thanks, God. Uh, I think there are better blessings that we can get. But I think, uh, I think this attitude of counting suffering as a blessing particularly coming from Paul in his old age. This is not just some 20-year-old skinny jeans wearing youth pastor saying like, yeah, celebrate your, the hard times. I mean, we're, we're talking about a 60, almost 60-year-old 60 veteran of the faith. Um, clearly, he has learned something about suffering and understands how it can be a blessing. Um, and I think that that attitude kind of makes sense when you understand some of the details of Paul's, of Paul's testimony. Obviously, we already recapped his conversion, so we know that there was this burning fire of, of experience. I mean, he'd had such a supernatural experience on the road to Damascus that it just supercharged him for the rest of his life. But we also know that in his travels, they were filled with hardships. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he actually lists all the things that he'd gone through. And he talks about... Um, He'd been beaten, he'd been jailed, thrown out of cities, he'd been shipwrecked, he'd been sick, he'd been hungry, he'd been cold, he'd been sleep-deprived. Um, he had a very close relationship with hardship and with pain and suffering. And, uh, you know, in that Second Corinthians passage, that's actually where he talks about how Jesus had promised him that my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul's relationship with suffering was so much at the point, not just seeing it as a blessing, but he even says, you know, if I can boast in anything, I'd boast about my weaknesses so that Christ's power could rest on me. It's why, for his sake, I delight in my weaknesses. He says of suffering, I delight in insults, in hardships, and persecution, and difficulties. Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Uh, you know, when sometimes I think when we in our lives encounter those Christians that are just like, I just love to struggle. I just feel closer to God to struggle. It can sometimes feel a little bit, I don't know, sometimes those people can be a bit insufferable. Or you sometimes you're just like, I don't think you do love to struggle. I mean, it, sometimes it doesn't feel, or even like, you know, you sort of, I don't know, sometimes I get a bit skeptical of those moments. Maybe that's on me. But when Paul talks about it, it's clear that not only has he lived it, but he's obviously got some revelation about suffering um, that he feels. And I believe that he has shared that with us in one of his other letters. And we're going to have a reading now um, 
And I hope that as we hear this, um, it will feel encouraging to you. And of course, we'll talk about it afterwards, but we're going to hear now from Colossians 1, 24 to 29. Colossians 1, 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Reading this passage, it becomes clear that Paul is not just some super wise saint who has a crazy threshold for pain and suffering, but actually he's learned something in his testimony about the relationship between suffering and the power of God. And he's encouraging these guys. In that opening verse, it's like he's saying that in our suffering, the mystery of God is revealed. And that mystery is Christ in us, the hope of glory. So to this church of people on the other side of the sea, started in exciting ways, now feeling weary and tired and feeling confused and having voices of opposition and voices of confusion sweep through, and they're feeling like they're suffering. Paul, in his own lockdown, is jumping on that Zoom call. and He's going, guys! Don't lose faith. Take courage. Rejoice in these sufferings because your own lack, the space that is left by our own limitations in our own flesh is filled with the Spirit of God. And in that space, God provides the perfect backdrop to reveal his mystery. Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's my prayer for all of us at Bread that as we Maybe we feel tired and discouraged, and maybe this year has been hell. And I know for some people it has. And beside that, even just doing the work is tough. And by doing the work, you know, not all of us are called to travel the world and get shipwrecked on islands, but even just waking up, choosing to be loving, choosing to be patient, to be kind, choosing not to strangle your housemate who likes to talk on speakerphone in your house, uh, making the decision to keep being committed to the cause of Christ is tough work. And sometimes, yes, we suffer as believers, but Paul is encouraging us. Our suffering is a blessing because it's in the suffering, in that space, that the mystery of God, Christ in us, the hope of glory is revealed. I want to leave you with that last verse that he says in that passage in Colossians. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. It's my prayer that wherever you are, if you're tired, if you're weary, if you're struggling, as we're getting ready to read through the book of Philippians, I want you to remember that these times, these times of hardship and heartache are a blessing. 
strenuously contend with all the power that Christ so powerfully works in you. I pray that you hear Paul's words calling out to you through history, encouraging us. Stand firm, be encouraged, rejoice in the hard times. Um, And of course, if you're going through really difficult times, we as a community want to be here for you and want to pray with you. So stick around and make sure you receive that ministry. But these guys are going to lead us in worship now. And God, we just thank you for speaking to us today. Amen. Yeah.